It's good to be with you. Understand it's been about five years, uh, four years, since you've had uh, a bishop here. Um, uh, bishop, uh, oh dear, Dorsey Henderson. He's a good friend of mine. And some of you remember him fondly. Um, he's in his 80s now. And uh, he said, I can't drive as much as I used to. And, and he asked me to kind of take over. So I reached out to Bishop John and said, is it okay? And, and he said, yeah. Uh, I had an interim where I was uh, rector of St. Philip's in downtown Jacksonville for about 14 months. And one of the things that was wonderful about uh, African-American community is they love long sermons. <laughs> so when you get out at 3 o'clock today, um, uh, I'll give you the phone number of Pam Pierce. She's a senior warden. You can go complain to her. <laughs> Bishops are primarily teachers. It's the number one thing that we do. Um, whether we're speaking in a small group, uh, whether we're sharing uh, uh, whether we're in prayer, uh, whether we're um, preaching. And so I'm going to be kind of a teacher today, and I want you to open your uh, bulletin to the gospel, because we're going to go through it a little bit in some detail. And I hope that uh, you'll come away from this uh, with some insights that perhaps you've not had before. And... Um, I want to start out and say this is sometimes called the high priestly prayer. It takes place uh, presumably during the, the Last Supper. And Jesus knows that uh, he's about to go forth to Gethsemane, be arrested, tried, convicted, and executed. And so um, it, it starts out this way. Uh, Jesus looks up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The hour means the, the moment where we're moving away from earthly ministry into the passion, into his death and eventual resurrection. And then he uses the word glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. The word glory has a, a number of meanings. Today we think of it as some athlete has glory, glory on a, on a football field or, or a soldier that uh, has glory on a battlefield. But the original intent of the word glory really goes back to when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and they couldn't, the, uh, the people of ancient Israel could not even look at him because he reflected a light, a, a brightness that, that they had to actually have him veiled so that they could look at him. And that was called glory. It's as if God in his power and his beauty and his love pours out through Moses to them. And they called it glory. And the same thing is occurring with the transfiguration where uh, we see uh, uh, Moses and Elijah and now Jesus being in a blinding light. And therefore, there is this glory. And so... It is a powerful aspect to, to this. And, and we even see this, um, even in the Soviet Union, they, physicists would study auras, where there are certain people that would give off a kind of brightness or light, and that that is considered, again, 
a manifestation of God's glory coming through another person. And so what we have here is Jesus asking, uh, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people. And I want to say something here about the nature of Jesus in that Jesus is, has two natures, the, the earthly, the, hum, the earthly or the human nature and the divine nature. And one of the forgotten parts of, of the Trinity to me is God the Son. I, I call it the, uh, the, the green vegetable on the, on the plate. You know, the Holy Spirit's the dessert, the Father is the main course, and the forgotten part is, is the Son of God. And what's interesting is you hear primarily about the, the power of God the Father. God can speak and something happens, just as in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis. Let there be light. There's light and so forth. And we know about the power of the Holy Spirit, how it urges us to do things that we wouldn't normally do, that there's a power behind it. But what's interesting about God the Son is you don't see that so much. You don't see this, this uh, impact, this, this punch, this uh, forcefulness. Instead, the second person, God the Son, is the Word. As in John's prologue, let, uh, in the beginning was the Word. And we find that God the Son speaks with reason. There's that old saying, a mind once stretched never goes back to its original dimension. And that's what God the Son is about. And in many ways, it can be more powerful than these aspects of the Father dominating creation or the Holy Spirit pushing us forward into a, into a level of discomfort. But it is through reason and understanding and love and, and appreciation of who we are and why we are, where we are, it's out of this that perhaps it's the power of idea that surpasses everything else. And it's not just an idea that, um, well, I think about something, therefore it's good and it's true, and okay, now I know this and we go on. No, our character is formed by this and transformed by it. And it's with this power of knowledge that we find that uh, one of my images of, of Jesus dying on the cross is that there is a battle between the Son of God and the devil. And the devil hates it because he, in effect, is bound and held from that passage from Mark about um, that you go in there and, and it's, it's part of that. Satan cannot be against himself. A house divided will not stand. Um, it's going to be a strong man that goes in and binds Satan. And it's the, it's the second person of the Trinity that binds up the devil, but not with rope, but with idea. And it confounds the devil because... It is the beauty of the sun that puts us into a mindset that we won't give up.
And so here we have in this passage of, of that Jesus has, has been glorified and it's the son that, uh, that provides this. And we find the next passage, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only Son of God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life here is not about a linear physical involvement in which you're born, you live a certain period of time on this earth, you die, you go to heaven and go forth. That is, in many ways, a quantitative approach. And what Jesus is saying here is that eternal life is a qualitative thing. It's communion. It's being with God and and knowing God and understanding and being obedient and loving. It's out of this mindset that, and it's 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 an aspect of John's gospel all the way through, that the resurrection life is not to be lived in heaven as we move from life to death to life again, but it is meant to be for now. It's right now. We're an Easter people. We are resurrection people. And because of that, um, eternal life is our heritage. And it's now. It's not in the distant future. It is present with us today. And it's God the Son who informs us how to live in this way of being an Easter people. And so the next section is is this. I glorify you on earth by finishing the work that you have given me to do. This is the earthly ministry that he's done. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Father, I had the same glory you do, just as the Holy Spirit has it. Um, in my humanity, people didn't always see that. It took a while to, to be seen and understood. Well, now I'm ready to go back and be God the Son. And indeed, this is one of the special things that the disciples came to understand, is that Jesus was not simply another human being or a wise teacher, that, that he was the Son of God. It was C.S. Lewis that once said that either Jesus was a madman or he was a son of God. Don't think of him as just simply a wise teacher, even though he is wise. But, but that is a very limited approach to who Jesus is. And so if you turn over to um, the next part of, of the gospel, I have made your na- name known to those whom you gave me from the world. My being with them, I called them. And they've come in to be with me. And it's not just the disciples, but there's a larger group as well. Even many people from the crowds. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. In other words, sometimes, like with Peter, it's a struggle. But, uh, but you've claimed them. I have claimed them. By our both claiming them, They belong. They're now family. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. They've come to realize that. For the words that you gave me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you. 
and they have believed that you sent me. So now I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. The result of who they are has, has helped glorify me, which is strange when you think of human beings in their good character, in their good conduct, in their love, actually bring forth in Jesus himself glorification. And what the reason for that is that Jesus in his humility is saying, because they have been so good and so loving and so caring, they're connecting with you, they connect to you, and you connect to me. And so they start by glorifying you, and then you glorify me. It's like a circle is being made. And it is a type of communion, a oneness. And so then we get to the conclusion. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. What this is about, my brothers and sisters, is that this is about the church. This is what it means to be in this community. You hear often the word grace connected with glory. The word grace, if you want to get it into its most basic terminology, is favor. But what's interesting about it is that if you're favored, it doesn't mean the person next to you is not favored. How can that be? It's because God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit celebrates our uniqueness. It's kind of like me. I have three children. I love them all. I think of them as like three fingers on my hand. Um, each finger is different. Each finger functions. I'm not interested in losing a one of them, thank you very much. But they are unique. And when they work together, it's like a, the hand has its dexterity, its ability to function. It's, what I'm saying is, is that when all are favored, and each is favored in uniqueness, what we have is community. And the community has that impact of changing the world. And one of our tasks, and it, it goes back to um, William Temple who said that the church is that rare institution that serves for the, exist, to, for the existence of outsiders. We're called to bring other people into this awareness of grace, of, of favor, of uniqueness, of community, of glory, and in so doing, understanding that we are God's people and that God's love comes pouring forth through us, not that we necessarily originate, but we understand from where it comes and how it flows, and we want them to catch this same understanding this same brilliance of light, this same quality of love. And so we come to this moment of confirmation, reaffirmation, in which we know that the Holy Spirit is swirling around. 
And yet, when we look at the historical aspect of this, we know that Jesus ascended on last Thursday, and next Sunday we have Pentecost, in which the Holy Spirit is spread throughout the world, where people of different languages and different personalities, different traits, different uh, attitudes suddenly become one. We find that the Holy Spirit is there to confirm this sense of communion that is spoken by Jesus in today's gospel. That, in a sense, this is a pregnant time, waiting for the Spirit to come forth, and yet we know the power of the Spirit. And it is that third aspect of the Trinity that allows us to go forth. Now, one of the things in the, in the Bible particularly in, the first, in Genesis, we see the transcendent God in which God from afar speaks and something happens. But what we're getting in this high priestly prayer is a, a, a glimpse of the eminence of God in which we feel a sense of community. We sense the love. We sense the belonging. And we speak in terms of glory and a favor. And yet, we got one more piece to come, and that of the Holy Spirit, in which we know that through the Holy Spirit, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And that's part of the magnificence of what's the coming next week. So, fortunately, we're talking about history. Today, we're talking about confirmation in which the Holy Spirit we know is present. And let's get on with that work, knowing fully well that by being church, we have this incredible heritage. And the challenge to you and to me is to live into it in its fullness. And that, my brothers and sisters, is called communion. Amen. Amen.